It's time to put principles ahead of politics. This is Sages of the Sun, brought to you by the New York Sun. I'm Caroline Beek, a co-founder and editor of The Sun, and I'm joined by Seth Lipsky, our legendary editor-in-chief. We're here to take you behind the headlines, unblinkered, principled, and straight. Let's get started. This week, we sat down with our contributing editor, Alexandra Gonzala Tirzu, to discuss China's global ambitions. Ms. Tirzu is an expert on foreign affairs with an emphasis on U.S.-China and China-Africa relations, China's global ambitions, innovation, technologies for economic development, and politics. Alexandra, thank you so much for joining us. I'm eager to talk to you about all the different things that you've been writing about and watching. Um, why don't we start with Macron and your, uh, your spotlight on him? Tell us what you've been. <laughs> Macron. He's never going to recover from that Alexandra column. <laughs> <laughs> I have a few more up my sleeves too, so there's more to come. No, I mean, Macron, is his position in Europe has shifted quite a bit from even where he started out at the beginning of the year, um, I think. And in the whole course of the of the war on, on Ukraine, um, even the French media has, has taken a hard line on him um, insofar as he hasn't even showed up in Kiev yet. He's been um, doing his telephone diplomacy with, with Putin together with, with Schultz more recently. And really, in the last few weeks, also, came out and said that Europe should uh, revise its treaties. So calling for uh, a new Europe at a moment when Europe is, is kind of trying to salvage itself in, in a way. So he's doing this interesting political game that has left half of Europe, let's say the eastern half, plus the Baltics, um, increasingly frustrated. Um, and then the other half scratching their, their heads a little bit. So Macron is a figure that I've been watching quite a bit because there's there's a lot going on with him. And it seems that he's trying. And I mean, from the beginning of his presidency, he's sort of been trying to, from the first term, I think, find himself in a way. I wrote the column. He actually wanted to be a writer. He didn't want to be a president to, to begin with. And so also in his politics, you see more of a, let's say, kind of philosophical undercurrent that's a bit detached from reality. And I think that that's kind of what he's increasingly bumping up against in the war, in the context of the war. And I think generally, too, lots more to say. So just tell me what direction you'd like yeah, I mean, me what do you <laughs> think, to go. What is his philosophical uh-huh. view? You know, he's rooted a lot in kind of Descartes, the old traditional kind of French philosophers, a bit of a nihilist in some ways, a bit of a universalist in, in, in other ways in the context very much, and just generally, he's very much a proponent of multilateralism, uh, which is part of the reason why he engages with, for instance, engage is also with Xi Jinping, he's of the view that, you know, if you bring these strong men to the table, they will perhaps kind of, quote unquote, come around. That's also how in the past, he's also engaged with some other Middle Eastern leaders um, as well. So he's a bit of a, he's quite an idealist um, in in that regard. Um, And with respect to Europe, yeah, he's increasingly speaking about, you know, bringing Russia more more to the table, that it can't be a Europe um, without Russia. It has to include Russia. Um, so his worldview in, 
is, is kind of difficult to pinpoint, but kind of threads of it are starting to become increasingly apparent over the last months um, that kind of hang on, um, particularly, let's say, multilateralism, uh, let's say a fairly clear push back against US influence in the continent. And he's been quite open um, about that in, in many of his speeches, especially in the context of this last um, presidential campaign. He doesn't want France or Europe to be a quote kind of puppet of America and so on. And he of course touts this theme of European sovereignty um, that actually isn't his idea. He borrowed that, it was um, a, a report that was drafted in, in 1994 actually by two German politicians at the time, Lammers and Schaubel. Um, and actually, if you kind of mirror his work or his remarks a lot with, um, with that document, you see it feeding through his, his thinking. Um, quite a bit. So he sees Europe as an entity that in a way should stand on its own two feet. Um, but at the same time, the policies that he's pursuing over the last you know, months, years, uh, certainly don't, don't take it in that direction either. So long way of saying that his philosophy is, is a bit muddled, um, but there are certain threads that we can pull on and, and try to grasp at. Yeah, so I guess two questions off the bat. One, can you tell us a little bit more about that document and and what it what it was arguing? And then two, like where have the most concrete pushbacks against U.S. influence in the region been? Sure. the The document was drafted by two um, politicians of the Christian Democrat Party in in Germany in '94, and it actually echoes a lot or Macron's suggestions now regarding a multi speed Europe, and so effectively pick up those ideas. So the idea of European sovereignty was already floated then, exactly more or less along the lines of how Macron speaks of it, that Europe should be its own entity. There should be a pan-European defense force independent of NATO, which is also a lot of what we hear from Macron. And that there's also the idea, you know, Macron now refers to as a multi-speed Europe, um, Lammers and Schaubel, they called it, uh, they referred to it as Europe kind of based in concentric circles, where at the core would be Germany and France, the idea being the kind of the, let's say, core powers would be the ones that would or were more open and enthusiastic towards greater European integration. And then you would kind of, you know, go out in, in that way where on the edges, let's say, you would have countries that had interests in the European project, but were perhaps not so central to uh, European integration. And then again, like I said, if you kind of listen, particularly in the past month or so to Macron's suggestion of a multi-speed Europe, it's, it's basically that. And it's funny, in several speeches over the years, already in 2017, he was referring quite a great deal to, to this paper. He picked it up in a speech he gave in 2017, which he gave in Germany at the time, kind of apologizing almost that his predecessors also didn't pick up and, and run with that idea. So in a way, in a, in a strange way, if you kind of 
follow through with some of these threads, it seems that this this kind of idea that was already floated in the 90s is a little bit of his um, of his pet project. In terms of pushback against U.S. interests in, in the continent, I think kind of the clearest example of that is his constant insistence on a um, European defense force, which I find interesting um, in, in its own way. So he several years ago now made the point that NATO is, is brain dead, um, which I think is kind of ironic in the present context. Um, but nevertheless, and he constantly or fairly frequently rather speaks about the need for Europe to be able to defend itself um, and not be reliant on the West. Um, he's also kind of in, let's say, a different context that kind of cultural context, which is also a little bit ironic, I think, in a way, he's pushed back or he's uh, in part accused American wokeism of infiltrating uh, French society in particular and saying that the French cannot become like the Americans, we cannot be woke, which is also interesting if you kind of trace back some of the ideas that shaped the quote-unquote woke movement, those actually originated did some of them in in France and with some of these um, uh, with some of the kind of philosophical underpinnings. So he's pushing back militarily. He's pushing back culturally. It trickles in in, in different ways. I Is there a French you, word for woke? Not that I'm aware of. No, we can come up with one. Maybe that'll be the next column. <laughs> like hot dog. The hot dog. Get a hot dog. You just say it with a French accent, no? Le hot dog, le wok. <laughs> so how does this idea of European sovereignty relate to national sovereignty? It usurps national sovereignty. The idea um, is this kind of all-encompassing European um, community with uh, you know, an overarching supranational government, supranational judicial system, so on and so forth. And the idea that was floated then, which again, if you kind of pick up on, on some of Macron's th more recent thinking, is that, and I believe the, the wording is something along the lines of only through the European community can states be sovereign. So this idea that you need to give up quite a bit, which is what we see now with, with the European Union in, in many respects, giving up quite a bit of national sovereignty to, you know, as kind of their vision to then become sovereign and sovereign as Europe. So that document, the, the Chauvel um, and Lambert's document, and one could argue also Macron, they don't speak about national sovereignty. If you listen to what he, what he um, or kind of the, the wording and language that he uses, he speaks about European yeah. sovereignty. So, I mean, we can kind of hypothesize what that entails. Quite a bit of you know, states giving up many of their many of their privileges to a greater project, um, which you know is not to be just military, economic, but also fundamentally political. So that's <laughs> that's the long and short of it, in a way. Fascinating. So and I, that's kind of the. Sorry, just to kind of, and that's kind of the, the struggle that the European Union has had repeatedly, particularly with countries like um, Poland among them, you know, Hungary for different reasons, countries that have been pushing back on 
what they see as from Brussels. And so prior to the war, now the conversations are, of course, on a different matter, but prior to the war, there's been significant um, debate and discussion as to where is that line between what the EU, the extent to which the EU can dictate, for instance, national laws, national regulations, and the extent to which you know, states or countries have have the authority to basically push back. And I think the case of Poland is an interesting one where that tension came to the fore. Can France speak for itself in foreign policy or does it have to go through the EU now? It still speaks for itself in foreign policy. Um, but if Macron had his way, there would be a unified and you're behind that or the argument that you hear quite a a good deal in in European capitals also here in Switzerland where where I'm perched is that only by kind of pooling together can Europe uh, you know hedge against forces like China um see as undue interference by the U.S. So some of that thinking also among younger generations is, I think, lodged in this, what they see as as being stuck in the middle between great powers and independent countries not being able to push back against bilaterally, which I think if you look, for instance, in the case of Lithuania and and some other more recent examples, that's, of course, clearly not, not really the case. I know you're also taking a close look at Schultz. How is he evolving? <laughs> How is Schultz doing? The Germans have found themselves in a, a, a I guess, a, a, quite a pickle here in, in Europe. There was a good deal of, let's say, kind of hope, enthusiasm for the Germans, German leadership in the context of the war when Schultz gave the his speech regarding a turning point in German foreign policy. And that was very much um, welcome in, you know, in Brussels, but also, let's say, Eastern capitals. Um, it was warmly welcomed in, in Warsaw in particular, um, which is, of course, on the front lines. Um, since then, there, there really has not been um, a good deal. There have been some more recent announcements in these past days um, that the Germans will supply some military equipment to Ukraine. Previous commitments have been stalled already for several months. Um, and some speculate that the earliest that some equipment might arrive would be in November. Who knows what the state of state of affairs would look like then? Um, so Schultz has been kind of, you know, he he had his fall from grace if he ever had a moment of grace here in 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 Europe. Um, and he's also, you know, in in the Polish language, there's an expression that that translates loosely into warm noodles that can kind of, you know, bend and are a little bit soggy. And so he's kind of a, a bit of a warm noodle. Thank you for listening to this sample of Sages of the Sun. To listen to the whole episode and access our entire catalog, go to NewYorkSun.com. That's NYSun.com. <laughs>